As we come to the scripture, let me ask you please to, uh, to bow with me. Father in heaven, and now as we come to your word, we pray. We pray. You tell us that we are to take up the sword of the Spirit, praying. And so we do. We pray that this word would be effective in our own minds and hearts, that you would enable us to understand that you will bring truth to light, not only that, but that it would indeed light in our own souls, that it would be planted there firmly and God, that we would not resist it, but that we would hear it, and indeed that it would bear fruit. I pray that you would overcome any resistance that we may have to hearing this truth and believing it and allowing it to work in our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Colossians and chapter 1. Colossians and chapter 1. I want to read verses 3 through 14. Colossians in chapter 1, please. Hear the word of God. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this... You have heard before in the word of truth the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is, being, it is bearing fruits and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And may you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who is qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, obviously, this is Paul's prayer uh, concerning this particular church in Colossae. We mentioned last week that Paul didn't found this church. It was founded by this man he mentions, Epaphras, uh, who uh, came to them after having been with Paul and heard the gospel from Paul, took it to them in this place in Colossae. Now, it appears, and we'll come to this in chapter 2, I keep baiting you with this, we keep, we'll come in chapter 2 to some of the difficulties that were taking place in this church, in this particular city. It seemed, it seems that some were saying that the gospel that they had heard from Epaphras was not enough. It was good, perhaps, to get them started, but there was still a fullness of knowledge, still a fullness of experience that was yet to come. And if only these 
believers in Colossae would follow after the traditions of these other teachers, the philosophies of these other teachers, uh, would, would set aside special days, eat special food, and all of that, then they would come into this knowledge and this experience of power as well. And Paul's writing to them to say, no, that isn't the case. He's writing to them to say, no, that what the gospel that Epaphras brought to you is, is true and real and sufficient for you. He, he mentions, for instance, as we mentioned last Sunday at the, end of chapter, at the end of verse 7, that just as you learned it from Epaphras, he's our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ. And so, so you really can trust the gospel that he brought to you. And as Paul has described this gospel to them, he mentions earlier in the end of verse 6, he says, that it's the grace of God in truth. It's precisely what you need. It's a gift that comes from God in truth. That it's, it is the very truth from God. He says it's, it's not only uh, affecting your lives, bearing fruit among you, but also everywhere it goes among the whole, in the whole world, he's saying. So it isn't, it isn't that you're missing something, because if you're missing something, then everybody is missing something, because everywhere it goes, it bears the same fruit that is growing, uh, it's, it's bearing among you. So it's, it's this real gospel. In fact, that's it. It's gospel. It means it's good news, but it's good news of a great triumph, of a triumph that means everything, a triumph that then defines our lives, a triumph that, that, that means we should, we should center everything upon this victory. And it wasn't a political victory, meaning that one party beat out another party. It isn't a victory of issues that one issue overtook another issue. It isn't that one nation overtook another nation. It isn't one army against another army. It's the very Son of God being victorious over evil, being victorious over Satan, being victorious over sin and death. That means everything. And so it's gospel. It's that kind of good news. In fact, it's the word of truth. You can trust it. There is no other truth besides this truth. And you know that, he said, because this truth has brought you great hope. Hope like no other hope. Because this hope is that hope which is laid up in heaven for you. Meaning eternal life. Meaning forgiveness of sins. Meaning reconciliation with God. Meaning everything that God desires for human beings is laid up for you to be fulfilled in your life and the lives of believers together. And it's secure because it's in heaven. It's not on earth. It can't rust, can't be stolen, can't be defiled, can't fade away. It's there in heaven. And the very guarantee that it's laid up for you is this one risen Christ who's there watching over it. And he's the guarantee of it. So you can trust. And this gives you hope so much so that you're willing even in these days to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to love all the saints. That very hope is the thing that fuels your faith. You say, yes, where else from whom can I get this great hope that's laid up in heaven? For me, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, eternal life. It comes from no one else. You might remember there was a time in the life of Jesus when he was traveling with his disciples and, and he had said some really, 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 really hard things about following him. And many left following Jesus. And he turned to his disciples and he said, well, what about you guys? <laughs> and I think they shrugged a bit and said, 
Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. No matter how hard that may sound following after you, where else could we go? No one else has this. And they would even know that more completely after the cross, after the resurrection. Where else can we go? And that's what Paul's saying. Where else can you go? Look at the hope that you have. Where'd that spring from? It sprung from the gospel. It sprung from this God, this gospel of grace. So, so where else could we go? Thus, we, this, this hope fuels our faith in Christ. And then when we begin to contemplate that faith in Christ and people come against us and persecute us, why would we fall away even then? Because nothing is better than that. There's no sacrifice on our part too great to continue to follow after him. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter what happens, who else has the words of eternal life? Who else is the gospel other than Christ and it also fuels our love for all the saints because, because, you see, what we begin to long for, that we cast our eyes upon glory in heaven and what's there. And that begins to, to inform our lives. We say, that is it, not this. That is it. And that doesn't cause us then to, to cash out on life or to escape from it. It means that the only thing that can satisfy us is what's there. So what's there is love. What's there is desire to serve and to help, to bless so that's how I'll live my life now. And so this very hope fuels their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. And Paul begins his prayer then by, by giving thanks. He says, who? Oh, thanks. He's grateful, not to them for their faith and love for all the saints, but he's thankful to God. And the reason he's thankful to God is that he knows that their faith and their love and their hope has been a gift from him. So he thanks the giver of the gift. And today we come to the second part of this, this prayer where Paul uh, gets more specific about petitions for them, things that he's praying for in particular. He's given thanks to God for them and, and he's told them why, but, but now he's going to very specifically lay out some requests and, 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 and I'll break it down into two requests that really fold into one. Take a look, verse 9. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be, first request, filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as, second request, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, but, but notice how they kind of fold together. There's that little so as. And so he's praying that they be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritualism and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So his primary prayer for them is that they're able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, to do that, to be able to do that, they need to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then that, walking worthy, living worthy, walk is just sort of a figurative way of the way you live your life, the way you walk it out, if you will. Um, that, 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 that living in such a way that's worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him um, breaks out, Paul says, in, in four different well, participles, but that's not that important, is it? Four different ways as they come and He says, when you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, you will be bearing fruit 
in every good work. You'll be increasing in the knowledge of God. You'll be being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience with joy. And you'll be giving thanks. So, so just take a sense of, of what Paul is, is praying for them. He's praying that they are enabled by God to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That is, not according to their worth, but according to the Lord's worth, what's worthy of him, which shows forth his worth and value. They're to walk in such a way, live in such a way, that it's in the manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. To do that, they need to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that will enable them to walk this way. And in walking this way, what they'll see, what they'll see happen is that they'll bear fruit in every good work, that they'll increase in the knowledge of God, that they will... uh, um, Oh, yes. They'll be strengthened with power according to his glorious might so they'll be able to endure with patience. And fourthly, they'll be a thankful people. Right? So that's what Paul's praying. That's, that's his desire for them. We'll come back something about prayer at the very end, but, but that's, that's the request he makes. Now, notice he begins by, uh, saying, by praying that they be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. When he prays that they be filled, it, it means that every area of their life would be captivated by, controlled by, filled by a knowledge of God's will. The Bible uses the word fill in this particular way. It means that there's room for nothing else. Again, just by way of studying words, when Jesus was with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, he said to them, after having told them that he was going to go away and so forth, he says, your hearts are filled with sorrow. What did that mean? It meant at that moment in time, there wasn't anything else in their heart. There wasn't any happiness. There wasn't any, anything else other than sorrow. Sorrow characterized their lives. Every thought that they had, every word that they spoke, every action that they would take would, have, would be fueled by the sorrow with which they were filled at that moment. If you walked into that room, you would say, these guys are sad. They're filled with sorrow. I, don't, I can't say anything else about them. That's right now what's governing their lives. On another occasion, Jesus had been uh, walking and he saw a paralytic, a man who couldn't walk, and he not only enabled him to walk, but he did something else that was even more astounding. He forgave his sins. And the people around were filled with awe. That means that at that moment in time, what informed their life, what controlled their life, what governed their lives was awe of Jesus. If some little kid would have come running up to his mommy and said, mommy, 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 I just threw up over there, the mom wouldn't have noticed. Right? Because filled with awe couldn't take your attention away. I'm sorry, honey, I know that was a bad illustration. It just came to me. Kids can say all kinds of things. I won't tell you the other things that came through my mind. So that was good. Okay. Now, as you get the point, there's you're such an awe in the moment that, that, that nothing else is noticed. Your whole life is simply, your whole moment is captivated 
by Jesus. You remember the expression in Ephesians in chapter 5, yeah, chapter 5, where Paul speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit. His comparison is don't be drunk with wine, that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Meaning that the very Spirit of God is the very one who is to control our lives. Everything we think, everything we do, everything we say. And then he goes on in that passage to say, okay, now, controlled by the Holy Spirit, this is how that will play out in your relationships with other people. It will inform all of those. People will see you and say, that's a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when Paul said, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, he's saying, I want this to control your life, your knowledge of God's will. I want it to affect everything. I want it to affect your thinking. I want it to affect your actions. I want it to affect your words. I want it to affect the way you work. I want it to affect the way you play. I want it to affect the things you buy. I want it to affect the things you watch, the decisions you make, the people you're in relationship with, and how you treat them, and, 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 and all of that. Everything about your life, think of it, let it flash before your very eyes. Everything should be filled with, controlled by, captivated by, defined by, directed by, this knowledge of God's will. Now, as we come to think about God's will, let me make this distinction for us. Number one, that it's helpful, at least for me, to distinguish between what some folks call the decretive will of God and the preceptive will of God. Here's how they're different. We know that God is sovereign over all things. And nothing can come to pass lest he ordains it. Now, please understand, I'm talking way beyond myself here. Only God's the one who gets to talk about this sort of thing this way. But here I am trying to do it. Uh, It's mysterious to us how it is that there can be such a powerful, wise, loving being who can create a world in which, over which he is sovereign over it all. And that nothing can come to pass apart from his decree. That's this decretive thing. Him saying, yes, that can happen. Whether you want to play with that and say, God has a permissive decree or an active decree, that's not my point. My point is that God is God and he foreordains everything that comes to pass. Nothing surprises him. Nothing can take, nothing can thwart him. If something could thwart him, that thing that could thwart him was God. (laughs) Because it's better and higher than he is. It's mysterious to us. We don't know anybody other than him like that. And we're still getting to know him. And he still surprises us in who he is. That's who God is. His decree. Now, you can always know that will of God after the fact. Right? You're here. Decretively, it was God's will for you to be here because here you are. Sin was decreed by God. Death is decreed by God. Getting a job is decreed by God. Losing a job is decreed by God. God in his infinite, and I mean that, infinite wisdom, power and love, decrees. That which is ultimately for his glory and the good of his people. We don't always understand that decretive will of God. But he is God. 
That's who he is. And when we speak of the decretive will of God, we understand even in the midst of that, in the mystery of that, that even though God is sovereign over all things and foreordains everything that comes to pass, we know, because of who he is, that he's not the author of evil. We know that even though he's sovereign over all things and nothing can come to pass unless he so ordains it, that we still are responsible. We're responsible for the decisions that we make, real decisions that we make. And our real decisions are significant. And it isn't just a fatalism because God is sovereign over all things, because God is sovereign over all things, not fate. Frankly, how all that works together is beyond me. If it's not beyond you, Keep it to yourself. You'll only confuse me. But God is God, you see. So when Paul is saying that we need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, it's not in the decretive sense. Now, we'd love to know what's going to happen. We'd love to know what's going to happen so that we could leverage ourselves. If something bad's going to happen, then we could leverage ourselves against that bad thing. If it's something good's going to happen, then we'll invest in it. All right? We love to know the decretive will of God. Because we sort of think that if I only knew the will of God, that decretive will of God, my life would be way better. <laughs> so please, God, tell me that. That's really what we're praying. When we're buying a house, for instance, we want to know how this is going to work out in the future. That's what we're praying when we're looking for a husband and wife. Tell me how this is going to work out in the future, God. That's what I really want to know. Easy or hard. <laughs> When we're looking for a job, tell me how this is going to work out in in the future, God. We want to know that. He doesn't generally tell us what's going to happen in the future. That isn't what Paul's praying for. So don't sit around thinking, oh, if I'm filled with the knowledge of the will of, of God's will, then I'll be able to say whether this person's going to be healed or not, or that job's going to be gotten or not, or I can speak definitively on these future events. No, 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 that's not... There's another aspect of the will of God which we distinguish by calling it his precepts or his commands or his desires, that which pleases him, if you will, from his people. We know his precepts as we study his word, as we know his heart. We know we're to love, for instance. We know we're to be just. We know we're to be merciful. We know we're to be kind. We know we're to be forgiving. We know those aspects of the very heart of God for us, his, his precepts for us. That very will of God, for instance. And, and he speaks of those precepts by way of his commands, but also as he speaks to us, for instance, in, in um, 1 Thessalonians In chapter 4, the apostle writes very bluntly and boldly this. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Ooh, what a surprise. In other words, what pleases God is for you to live a holy life, to follow after him. Now he has some specifics because of what's going on in Thessalonica that he's going to lay out in the specific aspects of sanctification. When we think of that, yes, of course that's the will of God for us. We know that. And so, so Paul's praying that they be filled with that knowledge 
And that not only captivate them, that there's no room for anything else other than to know that what God desires, what would please him, is for me to be holy, for me to walk, if you will, in holiness. Uh, Ephesians and chapter 5, we, we read this concerning uh, the will of God. Verse 15. Paul writes, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Well, what's the will of God? We walk carefully, wisely, make the best use of time. Why? Because the days are therefore. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then you see in being filled with the Spirit, he says, here's how you're to live, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord um, with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he speaks to wives and husbands. He speaks to slaves and masters. He speaks of children and parents. So he's, he's talking about the things which please God. And so we realize that the means by which we're filled with the knowledge of God's will is to come to know him. Romans chapter 12, verse I trust you knew I was going to come to if you've been around a while and you know what it says. Verse 1, Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Precepts is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God, what he desires for his people. And he says you do that by renewing your mind. And all throughout the scripture it becomes very clear in how a mind is renewed. It's renewed according to the word of God. Moses said, man shall not live, God actually said it, Moses recorded it, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Moses said, these words are not idle words for you, they're your life. The apostle writes that all scripture is God-breathed for us, it's profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, godliness. So that the man of God may be fit, may be readied, may be perfect for every good work. That's the very word of God. We're to know it, be renewed in our minds. And so Paul's about to do that, by the way. He's about to give them the word of God. But before he does, he prays that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they know it. So it tells us it's knowable. Now again... It's not knowable from the scripture in the sense of saying what's going to happen, but it's knowable into learning God's heart. And he says when this happens, it will manifest itself in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. By spiritual, he doesn't mean ooky spooky. He doesn't mean mystical. He doesn't mean this sense it's only for a few people who can really get into it, you know. By spiritual, he means from God. And when we use the word spiritual in our culture, we mean somebody who's sort of in touch with their feelings. The spiritual person. 
Or somebody perhaps who might be thinking that there's someone beyond us. But when the Bible speaks of spiritual, it uses it in contrast to that which is of the flesh or that which is of the sinful nature. And so Paul uses this expression, it's spiritual wisdom and understanding, meaning it comes from the spirit, it comes from God. There isn't, you know, if I'm ornery in an ornery mood on an airplane and someone finds out that I'm a pastor and we've got to go through all of that, then, and they tell me that they're a spiritual person, then I like to say, oh, that means you know God. And they say, if there is one I say now we're in trouble (laughs) spiritual to me in the Bible means it comes from God the one and only true and living Father, Son, Holy Spirit God that's spiritual so when Paul says all spiritual wisdom he doesn't mean you sit in a funny position and, and chant or groan or sleep is what happens to me and then never get up again Uh, If I had to be in one of those positions. Um, He means you train your mind to know God as revealed in the scripture. That spirit. And it's wisdom and understanding. And always in scripture, as we speak of wisdom and understanding, it's in the context of action and application. You see, it isn't that we just sort of have knowledge or know stuff, but we're to be filled with it. Meaning, it is what controls our lives and it moves us to a point of being wise to say this is true therefore I must do it you remember when Jesus was speaking in the Sermon on the Mount about wise and foolish here's how he put it Matthew in chapter 7 he says everyone then verse 24 everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them right? I suspect I could do really, really well on a multiple choice test about the Bible. That doesn't mean I'm wise. Wise means I know it and I do it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That is, knowing, being filled with the knowledge of God's will. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the, whistles, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell in great, great was the fall of it. James, in James in chapter 3, uh, puts it like this. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord, being filled with awe of him. And that reflects the meekness of wisdom. God, I don't know, but you do help me. God, I don't know, you know, teach me. God, I don't know, you know, enable me, empower me, strengthen me to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing, 
fully pleasing to you. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be, and, and, and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, that is spiritual wisdom, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's walking in wisdom. So it shouldn't surprise us, as Paul is praying, that he prays that we be full of the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk... Ah. See, wisdom means you're going to do something. Wisdom means it's going to affect you. Wisdom and understanding that comes from a knowledge of God's will with which you're full means it will affect the way that you live. And this affecting will be to cause you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And it isn't your actions that make you worthy to walk it's that you're walking in such a way that reflects his worth, fully pleasing to him. That's next week. But my question for us today is, do we pray like this? Do we pray like this? Now, what's, what's fascinating to me, a couple of things. Number one is, things are going reasonably well in Colossae. They got the problem with the false teachers, but by and large, the thing that gets Paul praying is the fact that he's heard about their love in the Spirit. Good things going on. We generally don't pray when things are going well. Paul seems to pray fervently when things are going well. He gives thanks, and he prays that things keep going well. Uh, no doubt he was the author of the expression... Pray without ceasing. Of course, that doesn't mean Paul never took time out of his day to pray specifically for them. You get the impression, surely he did. But he had this sense always, and whatever news he heard, whatever he was thinking about, it, it became Godward very quickly. God was in, in his consciousness. He was aware of these things so that even as he was talking and writing, he's praying for them in the same way that I'm praying even as I preach and I trust you're praying even as you listen praying for me that I get this right it's important to you that I get this right and uh, praying that you get it that oh yes God we can do that this sense of awareness of being conscious of God when news comes when reports come when we're interacting with people there should be this sense of, of praying even if it's going well well this is going better than I thought God thanks you know even if it's going well and so Paul hears good news and prays. But, but notice he prays that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He, he prays because he knows he needs God. He needs God's help. And he prays because it's glorifying to God. He kind of combines all of these in a little passage in 2 Corinthians and chapter 1, verse 8. He's speaking, Paul is, about difficulty in his life here and he says for we do not want you to be ignorant brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself 
Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. It's a really bad situation. Couldn't be worse. But, he says, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer. In the midst of this sovereign God, in the midst of all that we're called to, prayer of the people of God brings help. Mysterious, yes. True, yes. Brings help to others, brings help to us. We must pray. It brings help. How many times in the scriptures does Paul say, pray for me that I have boldness. Pray for me that the word of God prosper. Pray for me that I don't shrink back. Pray that I persevere. Pray for one another these very same things. He says, you must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. He says, the only reason you get a lot of people to pray isn't to, isn't to, make, you know, isn't to send up a lot of prayers so God has to give in. Well, I, we're up to 7,432 people praying now, so let's do it. It isn't that. And so the more people become involved so that they give glory to God when they see the result of it. Pray. It's glorifying to God. Pray. It helps. Pray. You need it. My question for us is this. What hinders us so much in praying? Could it be that A, we don't really understand what it means to live a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. We think it means being a good American, gets up every day, goes to work, retreats to home in the evening, doesn't do anything really bad, gets up the next day and does the same thing, and trains our children so that when they get to be like us, they'll do the same thing. And that seems pretty doable to us until somebody gets sick, somebody loses their job, 9-11 strikes or something like that and then we begin to pray. Could it be that we really don't, this is autobiographical, do, is, could it be that we really don't want to know his will? Because his will has a tendency to be a little too narrow wayness for us. A little too deny yourself, take up your cross dailyness. A little too, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it-ness. A little bit too, sell all that you have and come and follow me-ness. And so to really pray that we be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him might be so scary that we don't pray like that. We pray when we're unhappy. We pray when we're sick. We pray when we have a need that we know we have, but do we really desire? 
to follow hard after Christ. Let's pray. Father, for me, for us. I pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we would be a people that walks worthy of Christ. That shows forth his worth so that when other people see our lives, it would be so clear to them that Christ is worth following and great. May this manifest in our lives good fruit. May it manifest itself in our increasing knowledge of God. May it show itself in the strength that we have to endure and to be patient. And may it show itself most especially in our giving thanks. I pray that for us, I pray that for all of those who who are sent out from our place, our missionaries. I pray it for our dear Jane Nutella. She has surgery this week that you would be with her, enable her in the midst of this surgery to walk worthy of Christ. And that you would heal her, we pray. For Mim McGrogan, Father, I pray the same, that you would be with her with this hip repaired and recovery. I pray it for Rick and Kelly as they go to Ethiopia on the first to bring back to Gry their daughter. I pray that he would be with them, that they would themselves walk worthy of you in the midst of all of that. Thank you for taking care of all those details. We pray for their safety. Father, we pray for uh, their family, that you would unite them all under Christ. Father, you're gracious to us and kind. I pray that we would be people known as followers of Christ. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. I remind you that uh, we're gathering together tonight, oddly enough, to pray. Always scares me when we don't turn out for praying. There was an old Puritan saying that goes something like this. Then when God is about to bless his people, he sets his people a-praying. So when we're not a-praying, I worry that there's no blessing for us. So please come tonight to pray, Sacred Assembly. Uh, Wednesday night as well, please come for our meeting. Our response to the benediction will be to sing together, this being God's benediction. Please receive it. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenants, equip you with every good thing for doing his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Together, let us sing. Water.